Tantor Audio, a division of Recorded Books, presents The Macho Paradox Why Some Men Hurt Women and How All Men Can Help by Jackson Katz Narrated by Adam Lofbaum After hundreds of years of anti-racist struggle, more than ever before, non-white people are currently calling attention to the primary role white people must play in anti-racist struggle. The same is true in the struggle to eradicate sexism. Men have a primary role to play. In particular, men have a tremendous contribution to make in the area of exposing, confronting, opposing, and transforming the sexism of their male peers. Bell Hooks Preface Americans like to boast that we're the freest country on earth, and yet half the population doesn't even feel free enough to go for a walk at night. Unlike the status of women in Afghanistan under the ghastly Taliban, women in the United States are allowed to go out. Fanatic men in government don't issue edicts to prevent them from exercising their basic freedom of movement. Instead, the widespread fear of men's violence does the trick. Women in the United States have made incredible and unprecedented gains over the past half-century in education, business, sports, politics, and other professions. The multiracial, multi-ethnic women's movements have utterly transformed the cultural landscape. But at the same time, restrictions on women's ability to move about freely are so pervasive, such a normal part of life in the late 20th and early 21st centuries, that many women don't even question them. They simply order their daily lives around the threat of men's violence. And men? The Me Too movement has been a wake-up call for many of them. Until that historic reckoning a substantial number of men simply had no idea how profoundly some men's violence affects the lives of all the women we care about. Our mothers, daughters, sisters, wives, and girlfriends. I had no idea either, until the light bulb first went on when I was a 19-year-old college student. Today, many decades later, I've lectured about men's violence against women on more than a thousand college campuses. I start some of my talks with a deliberately provocative statement. The subject we're here to address, I say, touches every single person in this room, whether you're aware of it or not. Gender violence, rape, battering, sexual abuse, sexual harassment, dramatically impacts millions of individuals and families in contemporary American society. In fact, it is one of the great ongoing tragedies of our time. Is this alarmist hyperbole? I don't think so. An abundance of credible statistics some from conservative sources, bears it out. Study after study shows that about one in three American women and nearly one in six men experience some form of sexual violence during their lifetime. One in five teenage girls have been physically or sexually abused in a relationship. In the United States, more than 27% of women and 11% of men have experienced sexual violence, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner. But statistics on men's violence against women, while shocking, only tell part of the story. Another part of the story unfolds in women's daily lives. To demonstrate this concretely, I request the students' participation in an interactive exercise. I draw a line down the middle of a chalkboard, sketching a male symbol on one side and a female symbol on the other. Then I ask just the men, what steps do you guys take on a daily basis to prevent yourselves from being sexually assaulted? At first, there is a kind of awkward silence as the men try to figure out if they've been asked a trick question. The silence gives way to a smattering of nervous laughter. 
Occasionally, a young guy will raise his hand and say, I stay out of prison. This is typically followed by another moment of laughter before someone finally raises his hand and soberly states, Nothing. I don't think about it. Then, I ask the women the same question. What steps do you take on a daily basis to prevent yourselves from being sexually assaulted? Women throughout the audience immediately start raising their hands. As the men sit in stunned silence, the women recount safety precautions they take as part of their daily routines. Here are some of their answers. Hold my keys as a potential weapon. Look in the back seat of the car before getting in. Carry a cell phone. Don't go jogging at night. Lock all the windows when I go to sleep, even on hot summer nights. Be careful not to drink too much. Don't put my drink down and come back to it. Make sure I see it being poured. Own a big dog. Carry mace or pepper spray. Have an unlisted phone number. Have a man's voice on my answering machine. Park in well-lit areas. Don't use parking garages. Don't get on elevators with only one man or with a group of men. Vary my route home from work. Watch what I wear. Don't use highway rest areas. Use a home alarm system. Don't wear headphones when jogging. Avoid forests or wooded areas even in the daytime. Don't take a first-floor apartment. Go out in groups. Own a firearm. Meet men on first dates in public places. Make sure to have a car or cab fare. Don't make eye contact with men on the street. Make assertive eye contact with men on the street. The exercise can go on for almost half an hour. Invariably, the board fills up on the women's side. This is true with slight variations in urban, suburban, and rural areas. Many women say the list is like an unconscious mental checklist. Despite three decades of take-back-the-night rallies and feminists raising consciousness about the politics of women's safety, few women in audiences where I presented think about their daily routine in terms of larger cultural issues or political questions. It's just the way it is, they say. It's what we have to do to feel safe. At the end of the exercise, I always hasten to point out that most sexual assaults are not perpetrated by strangers lurking in the bushes, but by men who know their victims often in the victim's home. Some women do get angry when they see the radical contrast between the women's side of the chalkboard, which is always full, and the men's, which is almost always blank. Some men react emotionally when they contemplate the full chalkboard on the women's side. They're shocked, saddened, angered. Many report its effects as life-changing. Many of them had never before taken the time to think about this subject. They knew violence against women was a problem in our culture, but not this big a problem. They didn't realize how far-reaching it was. They didn't think it affected them. They were unaware of, or in denial about, the fact that it has become the norm in the United States for women and girls to remain hypervigilant, sometimes 24-7, about the possibility of being raped. How could so many men be oblivious to such a basic aspect of life for the women and girls around them? One of the most plausible explanations is that violence against women has historically been seen as a women's issue. We focus on the against women part of the phrase, and not on the fact that men are the ones doing it. But the long-running American tragedy of men's violence against women is really more about men and our problems than it is about women. We're the ones committing the vast majority of the violence. We're the ones whom women have been conditioned to fear. In the 21st century, it is long past time that more men, of all races, religions, ethnicities, and nationalities, faced up to this sad situation. 
educated ourselves and others about the hows and whys, and then went out and did something about it. That's why the intended audience for the chalkboard exercise about the steps women take to protect themselves is actually men. That's why this book is about men.